and welcome back to the Grindhouse Girls podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Katie. My co-host is Brittany, and this is a podcast about many strange and spoopy movies. We cover a lot of independent movies and a lot of horror movies, and we do want to caution before starting the podcast that listener discretion is advised, and a lot of subject matter we cover is not appropriate for children and can be quite sensitive. So if that sounds like something that's up your alley, keep on listening. If not, thanks for stopping by and on to the podcast. Hey there, this is Katie. Hi there, I'm Brittany. And this is the Grindhouse Girls Podcast. Hey. Grindhouse Girls Podcast. And uh, today, uh, so just we, so we say it off the top, we are going to be covering The Empty Man, which is currently on HBO Max. Um, filmed largely in 2018, um, released in the middle of the pandemic in October of 2020. But we're going to get to that. How you are you doing, release. Katie? It really was dumped. Oh. Poor thing. Yeah. Dumped. Yeah. This movie <laughs> had a, this movie was shit all over. Like, we're yes. just not going to lie about it. So Yes. Um, yeah, I'm good. How are you, Brett? How was your week? I I am good. I am tired. I guess that's like a new norm being in your 30s. You're just usually like tired. But I'm uh-huh. good. I can't complain. I can't complain. So. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's how I kind of feel. I'm like, uh, could be better. Could be worse. I'm good. I'm good. Hope you all are good out there. Yeah. So did you have any housekeeping from last week's episode, Britt? I do. And I actually shared this with Katie. Um, mm-hmm. So... Um, it's really funny, because me and my husband got into a kind of pseudo-argument, not like a bad one, but I, nowadays, I want to stay at the end of every, the end of every movie I want to watch for the credits in case there's a ending credit scene. And my mm-hmm. husband's argument is not every movie is a Marvel movie, not every movie has an ending credit scene. Uh, little did we know that The Green Knight has an ending credit scene that Does we both though? completely missed. Because I've been scouring the internet and I can't find any trace of it. That is what people are saying, is that there was an ending credit scene to The Green Knight. That's what I want to... If you stayed after the movie, please let us know, because I Britt told me this, and then I went scouring across the interwebs, and I could not find any trace of it. On anything. I actually read it. It was attached to Wikipedia. Yeah, and I don't really frequent Marvel movies, so I don't think about post credits. Um, but Suicide Squad had one too. Um, which the only housekeeping I had was Alicia Vikander did indeed win the Oscar for the Danish Girl for Best Supporting Actress. Awesome. We like, I think so, but maybe not. But talking about post credit sequences in the Suicide Squad, I watched the Suicide Squad this week. And. Yes. It was on um, HBO Max. It probably will be off by the time this airs, but I highly recommend. Um, James Gunn is a much better fit for the brand of entertainment it is because it's very funny. It's very violent, but it's like fun violence. Like people's faces get blown off, but it's great. And um, yeah, I really liked it. Have you seen it yet, Britt? I haven't. I know you told me I need to watch it, and I'm still hopefully going to watch it. It's just been a crazy week. The whole week got ahead of the yeah. for me. So 
Um, I don't have as much to talk about. I will say I just, I this past week I did watch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood again. Um, <laughs> it was like my fifth Good. viewing. But it was with my mother this time. Because mm-hmm. I put it on as noise because I've seen it so many times. And so my mom came in there and she's like, oh, I've always wanted to watch this movie. And she was watching it and it was such an honestly joyful experience watching Aww. it with my mom. Because she grew up during that time period. So as there's like clips from like old TV shows and stuff that like Cliff or Rick are watching. My mom's like, yeah, I loved that show when I was a kid. And she would like tell me about the uh-huh. show. So there was like insights she was able to give me. That I never knew because I didn't get those references. I didn't grow up in that time. Yeah. So we watched that. And then we also are still watching American Horror Stories. Um, which is, again, it's on Hulu. It's um, essentially like the Twilight Zone, but the in the American Horror Story universe. So it's like little episodes, mini episodes. They're fun. Um, they don't require a lot of brain power. So if you want to watch something that's <laughs> just kind of fun and really fucking weird, um, then there, it's, the, it's the show for you. So, But they release a new episode like every Thursday. I forgot to say, too, I finally started watching the Creep Show television show, and I watched, like, the ah. first three episodes. It's also very good. I really liked it. There's a lot of... It's very much like adult Are You Afraid of the Dark. Oh, I love that. Kind of reminds me of, like, Unsolved Mysteries, too. Oh, wow. Because it's, like, there's a framing device of the comic strip, and then yep. there's this. Um, which, speaking of comic strips, I guess we could start talking about our movie. We which should. Is, which is based on a comic. We should. <laughs> yeah. Um, I can just kind of jump into it a little bit. And Katie, if you want to take over or tell me to stop or if you have something interesting. Um, again, yeah. we're doing The Empty Man. Yeah. The Empty Man is on HBO Max. Um, so it was directed and the screen day was by ta- David Pryor, um, which pretty usual. We we love these directorial debuts. We do. Apparently. Yeah, Which, and so not to be confused with David A. Pryor, who is a very famous B movie director. Which I was like, is this like a lost film? Because I'm pretty sure David A. Pryor has passed away. Um, but he does a lot of very infamous uh, B action movies that um, Brother Media has covered a lot of his movies, and I can't remember the most famous off the top of my head, but I see all of his movies running in my head. Um, so, it's not. Um, this guy, actually, his grandparents were, um, silent film stars. Yeah, that was really cool. cool. I saw that little tidbit, too. Um, and he kind of got his start, I thought this was really cool, as a cinematographer and a director of video documentaries. So, I didn't think about this being a thing. But, like, you've probably seen it, like, on DVDs or, like, you may be watching a show on HBO and it's like, this is a mini 15-minute uh, making-of feature, And it's like, oh, shit, that's what I he used those. to do. Yeah, it's really cool. It kind of gives you, like, insight to the movies. Like, little yeah. small insight into the movies. But he That's did the only thing for... I miss about DVDs, like, buying DVDs for every movie. Like, when you stream stuff, they don't always have that extra, those extra features. And, like, I loved watching extra features. I love watching commentary tracks, too. Yeah. Movies. Oh, I love it. So he actually did the video documentary The Curious Birth of Benjamin Button, which is of course about the curious case of Benjamin Button. Um mm-hmm. and then he did How Did They Ever Make a Movie of Facebook, which is the social networks documentary. And he did a lot of shorts about the girl with the dragon tattoo remake. Um so of course he's now pretty good friends with David Fincher because of this. Yeah, he's like um, his protege. He's, yeah, he's kind of like, he's the one always doing the documentaries for Fincher. Um, he did this short called AM1200 or AM1200 um, before being selected 
to do the film adaptation of The Empty Man. So this is his first directorial debut, and he was kind of hand-selected to do this directorial debut. Yeah. Which is really cool. Yeah, it's cool. They also, um, he's also worked with Tim Burton before, and he's done a lot of writing previously, like a lot of short story writing. Um, And he, so they had a executive at Fox kind of help them, like, champion this film. Um, he was actually chosen by Boom Studios, who released the comic to do this, and then they ran into a bunch of trouble because one of the terrible things that happened to them during production was, um, right when, like, they were getting ready to, like, um, show the film, uh, do a rough edit, and really work with the material they had, the the executive at Fox that had really believed in that film left Fox right before the Disney merger. And so they were kind of left orphaned without anyone, like, that believed in their project um, before the film, which was, I was like, oh, that sucks. Like, I mean, that, I mean, things happen. People change jobs and stuff like that. Um, And obviously this executive was just like, yeah, I cannot deal with the Disney merger. Um, But I was like, oh, that sucks. They had a lot of setbacks in this movie. And they also, um, you probably saw this, they mismarketed this film, which is always a nail in the coffin. Mm -hmm. Um, Anytime they do that to a film. Um, so it was like the trailer wasn't really accurate to the tone of the movie or the idea Mm-mm. of the movie. And then the poster was very uninspiring. It wasn't interesting. Yeah. So I think I saw the trailer months ago and said, that looks like the Bye Bye Man. And the Bye Bye Man was terrible. So I have no interest in that. Um, which, yeah. Um, by the way, uh, some cool... The reason I know all the stuff about what went wrong is David Pryor actually did a really cool interview on the Nick Taylor Horror Show on YouTube, and there was also an article by Fansided by Mads Lennon that had a lot of information as well, just to, for references. I feel like sometimes I'm just like, I saw it on YouTube, y'all. But yeah, not only did that happen, they were shooting in South Africa because it was cheaper, and it got delayed due to the weather. Then when they finally finished filming, then... They were doing, like, pickup shots for, like, all their Middle America shots because South Africa doesn't really look like Middle America. They went to Chicago. Chicago had two feet of snow, and they lost all of their costumes in the flight. Like, it got left back, like, on a plane or something. And so they had to pause production. Then they went back to production. Then that executive left. And then, like, there was this whole thing where he had a rough edit. He showed the executives... The executives didn't come. They sent their assistants down. So they just kind of, like, dumped the movie on one test audience. And, again, it was a rough edit. He was still going to cut some stuff down. And the test audience, like, did not have a good experience. Either they really got the movie or they really did not get the movie. And they just kind of, like, dumped it in October of 2020 in theaters during the pandemic when the vaccines weren't even available. So... And they had a $16 million budget, which isn't huge, but, like, they have not made the $16 million back, so. Yeah, it 4.2, which is a flop. I will say, uh, for the creative team, I I don't know if you saw this, Britt, but the production designer, which uh, David Pryor was like, you know, I really think people don't talk about how important production design and cinematography is to movies, especially production design, um, but the production designer, Craig... Lothrop, Lathrop, Lothrop, um, worked on The Vavitch, The Lighthouse, and Boondock Saints. 
So I was like, that's amazing. And this movie, I have to say, and there's some scenes we'll elaborate on, but it's really fucking pretty at some points. Like, it's, it's a, really it's pretty. It's pretty. It's pretty. Yeah, the cinematography is really good, too. It's Anastas and Nikos, who, okay, this is funny. So, like, so we've got all these, like, kind of dark and creepy movies that the production designer's done. Uh, but the cinematographer, who I think did an amazing job, like, everything, like, that's dark, you can still see it. It's really good. Like, everything, all the production design is well lit without seeming unnatural. Yes, um, agreed. But he did Stepmom, Mona Lisa Smile, and Keeping the Faith, which are all rom-coms from, like, the ter- 2000s, which I was just like, I wonder if he's just been, like, his whole life, like, I just want to do a scary movie. And he was just like, yes, finally, I can do a scary movie. I think the cinematography and the production design works really well together. Um, did you get to read any of the comic? before i didn't i didn't get to read any of the comic but i had a very base general synopsis because i was trying to actually find like art and pictures because i wanted to see kind of what it looked like in the visual style but um it was created by interesting yeah it is it's very traditional american style comics i will say the art it reminds me of like a colorized walking dead like it's not the same style because that artist has a very specific style especially like with the way they draw the eyes this one's the same it's colin bunn is like the writer and vanessa mm-hmm. r del rey is the artist which most comic books have different artists and writers yeah i will say for the empty man comics since we were talking about the empty man comics um there's mm-hmm. a very base general synopsis so the um there's an empty man disease in the comics it causes insanity mm-hmm. and violence the government uh quarantines are mandatory and basically what happens there's a woman she gets the empty man um, disease, and her disease. family essentially decides they're going to do whatever they have to to make her well and protect her. And so that's like yeah. the catalyst of the comics is what's going on. So this is a very, very, very loose adaptation of that yeah. comic. It almost takes the idea of the comic and just, like, focuses it on a specific group in the comic. But it, it seems like the plot is very different. But, um, yeah. and actually... The opening sequence, which is, I think, the thing that everyone talks about, because there is a very, really amazing 20-minute opening sequence, was actually based on a short story that the director and writer wrote um, years ago. Um, He said it was actually taken from almost word for word. But it works. And what he did, he, like, took the comic and kind of melded his own work into it for the script and just kind of, like, took what he could and left the rest. And I feel like... That's a good way to be inspired by something. It's a lot to talk yeah. about. A lot more than I thought we'd be talking about with this movie, honestly. So that's Yeah, I know, right? It's like, it is very interesting. And I think we're going to go ahead, um, because we got kind of like an idea of production and what happened. And the mm-hmm. kind of tragedy that was the mismarketing and mishandling of this film. We're going to get into the actors yeah. a little bit. And we're going to start yeah. with our uh, protagonist, who is James La Sombra. La Sombra. And he's played by James Badge Dell, and before I go any further, mm-hmm. I was so impressed with this guy. Um, I love like, him. Yeah, he's so great. Like he just held this movie together, and I loved him. He was funny. Um, like you yes. took him seriously, but he was very funny too. He was very realistically funny. He's probably the best part of the movie, or at least the best performance. There are a lot of solid performances in there. Nothing was hokey, even yeah. though I will. I will say there's one complaint I have. There's a few complaints I have. But there's a complaint that I haven't even told Brett about that we'll get to, but it's towards, it's about the conclusion of the film that I have a problem with, and I feel like it probably would have been fixed with editing. 
Um, but I think he's really good. There's a part where he's talking to, like, a cult member in this movie, and he's just like, <laughs> okay. And he's just, like, laughing at them. And he's, but he's not doing it in, the, like, a I'm trying to make a joke. He's, like, just acting like how you would if, like, someone spouted some crazy bullshit at you. You just be like, um, okay. The only thing I don't like is he keeps repeating, I grew up in San Francisco. But then the way the movie, like, the twist, or I won't even say there's a twist. I will say yeah. the ending the way yeah. the end happens, I guess it makes sense, but he just kept repeating it, and I feel like that there's a lot of like editing that I just feel like should have happened in this movie, and I feel like that's the weakest point of the movie. But he's great. He apparently was on 24 in the Pacific. He's so also was cool. in the, the Departed, which I actually mm-hmm. really love The Departed. Um, Iron Man 3, 13 Hours. I didn't realize it. Um, I love um, both movie adaptations of Lord of the Flies. I didn't realize yeah, he was Simon. He was as a kid. Yeah, he yeah. was. That was like his first which movie. I haven't seen the movie adaptation, but I've read the book. Um, he was also in, and I haven't seen this movie, but it's on my list. I feel like it's something we probably could do for the podcast called Shame. Yeah, oh Fast yeah, Fastbender. Yep. It's a very... It, I, I know the premise, and the premise alone is interesting. And he was in uh, Jeremy Saulnier's newest movie, Hold the Dark, which I have not yeah. yet seen, um, but it's been on Netflix. I need to watch it. Um, also, I did yeah. want to mention, just because it's great. one of my dad's favorite, he's in The Grey, too. My dad loves The Grey. So I was like, oh, okay, he's oh, in The I've Grey, too. So, yeah, but yes. we got Marin too. So Marin Ireland is Nora, who I was like, why does her face look familiar? She is in the second season of The Umbrella Academy. As is he, um, yep. I haven't seen this yet, but she's in The Irishman. It's just, it's so long. It I is. I keep, like, being like, do I want to watch a four-hour Scorsese movie? Probably, but today, I don't know. Um, she's also in Piercing, which is on our list, but we haven't done yet. And I've heard good things about this, and I haven't watched it yet. I think it is also on our list, The Dark and the Wicked, which is on Shudder right now. Um, she's good. I like her. I'm surprised you didn't mention she's she was nominated for a Tony Award for Best Feature Actress and played for Reasons to Be Pretty too, which was a Nella B. Oh, I did not see that. Yep, so she's totally Tony Award nominated folder. That's pretty awesome. So good for you. There's also he's not in a lot of this movie, but I feel like we have to mention he's the one big name in this movie. Really, is Stephen Root. Um, He um, plays Arthur Parsons. Um, if you don't, you know who Steven Root is. I was going to say, if you don't know who Steven Root is, he's been in everything. He is, like, one of the hardest working men in Hollywood, in the world. He does, I feel like he's in, like, everything. Um, he does a lot of voice work as well as, like, acting and television work. Um, I feel like he plays everybody's absent dad. He's really, he either plays, like, a super rich, snobby guy or he plays, like, the loser. Like, he doesn't play a middleman ever. He's He only goes in extremes. And his, probably his longest gig was Bill Dotrieve and other various um, parts in King of the Hill, one of my personal favorite cartoons. He was also Milton in Office Space. Gotta love... I have the red stapler, by the way. My brother got it for me for Christmas one year. Um, he was also in Dodgeball. Or was Milton his character in Dodgeball? And I'm messing up the names. But they're basically the same character. And he was in Get Out. 
He was Jim Hudson, like the he... blind art dealer. Yep. So we also have Ron Canada, who uh, plays the detective in this movie, and he is actually um, you'll recognize his face because as soon as I saw him, I was like, why did I know that actor? It's because he's known for playing judges and detectives. And if you go for his IMDb, mm-hmm. you'll just see a whole long list of judges and detectives. But he also did one on one The Shield and Lone Star. Uh, Robert Aramayo as Garrett, um, who actually I recognized him too because I was like. Why do I know him? It's because he played the young Eddard Stark in the Tower of Joy flashback scenes. Um, <gasps> and he, yeah. Yes! I knew his fucking face! Yes, okay, but it's so funny because Eddard in those flashbacks also looks like Barney Stinson from How I Met Your Mother. So, that's all I think about. <laughs> um, he was also what? a nocturnal he, animal. He just reminds me of like a freaking like buff Ron Weasley. He also Ooh. was in Nocturnal Animals, Antebellum, Mindhunter. Oh, um, and not he's actually going to be. Yeah, not Annabelle, Mindhunter, Nocturnal no, the first Animals. One. <laughs> yeah. Nocturnal yeah. Animals is great. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's also. We're going to be getting used to seeing his face because he's playing the main character in Amazon's adaptation of Lord of the Rings. So we're about to see a lot more of this guy. <gasps> yeah. Um, we do have Joe Courtney as Brandon Mayburn, who is one of Amanda's friends. The reason I wrote him down is because I was like, why do I know that child's face? He's not really a child, he's a teenager now. But he was the lead in Super 8, and I love Super 8. He also is kind of... Oh, has, great movie. Yeah, great movie. That so he was actually great. the kid, and he was actually the kid in Super 8. Um, That's The, like, awesome. lead little boy. Um, he also That's was awesome. in both of the Netflix's Kissing Booths movies, so there's a lot of younger people that are going to recognize his face. I think the face. cinematographer worked on those, too, and I wasn't going <gasps> to besmirch his name by mentioning them. <laughs> That's <laughs> hilarious! So I know can't watch them. I've seen, I've seen um, reviews of them, and I'm just like, I don't want to see these. But, you know, I'm not judging if you like the Kissing Booth, but yeah, they don't seem to be very well made. Um, but we will work. We got three more actors, and then we're heading yeah. on to plot. Um, so Sasha yes. Forlova is Amanda yes. Quill. Um, so I she's she great. is a very she's a very major character. But the only thing is, is that I think this was her first kind of major role because she did have a wiki page. So I had to go onto IMBT, IMBD, and she only had three credits before this movie, which was Miss Hummel and Little Women. So she has a minor role in Little Women, the Gerda Gerwig one. Um, Greta Gerwig one. And then she was mm-hmm. Anya in Red Sparrow. I hadn't seen Red Sparrow. And she was also in the television show The OA. Yeah. So those were her only credits before yeah, this. Yeah, I keep wanting to watch The OA and I just don't start it. It's on my list. Um, yeah, I thought she was really good. Apparently the director had a completely different idea of what Amanda would look like. He wanted her to be like more of like a blonde, like Miss Little Miss Dairy Queen kind of look, and then like he saw her tape, and she was just so interesting looking with like she's big eyes and her little she has like a page boy haircut, she's like a little bowl cut, and he was just like she just seemed so much more interesting, and so he kind of changed the character based on the actress that he wanted, which is cool, and I'm glad like he was open to that too, because not all yeah. directors like that. They're like I have a vision in my head, and nothing will change my vision, so they end up casting someone who looks like how they see the character in their head but doesn't actually become the character like their soul or whatever um yeah yeah i thought she was really good i feel bad because the second one so we have samantha logan as savara wash and i knew this movie was on my mind because i have a new co-worker i have a new co-worker her name begins with a d and I literally turned to my boss today and i said oh is devara in and she looked at me i looked at her and i said 
Her name's not Devara. I'm so sorry. That's the, that's the name of a character in a movie I just watched. So, I was trying to rename my coworker um, Devara, even though that's not her name. Um, but she was Nina Jones in the second season of 13 Reasons Why, so she has a, a, a big supporting oh, role in the second season. Yeah. yeah, I've seen her. Uh, she, yeah, so that's where I recognized her from, because I was like, why do I know her face? And then when I looked it up, I was like, that's where I know her. She was Olivia Baker in All-America and T.S. Steven in The Fosters. I, I will mention one more actor, just because I don't know if you felt this way, but this guy made such an impression on me in the short time he was in the film. But Aaron Paul um, was Paul. Uh, he has a very oh, striking no, Aaron face. Poole. Aaron Paul. Sorry, Poole. Aaron Paul. I've, I've read Paul. He twice. looks like Aaron, Aaron Paul, Paul, though. Yeah, he looks like uh, Aaron Paul. Every other reviewer, like I listened to a couple people's like like beginnings of like the uh, their reviews, and they were all like they kept saying Aaron Paul because he looks like Aaron Paul, but his character's yeah. name is Paul, and his name is like Aaron Poole, I think. So that makes I was sense. like, he does look like Aaron Paul. He does. I, and I love Aaron. I love Aaron Paul. So that may be something yeah. to do with it too. That may be a subconscious thing. Um, but he was in This Beautiful City, Killing Zelda Sparks, Mary Goes Round, and Stardust. So he is not a American actor. Um, I forgot his nationality. I'm so sorry. I want to say British. Um, but uh, but anyway, I really I really enjoyed just the short bit of what we saw in the film. And I guess with that, we should probably get into synopsis and the overall yeah. stories. So. Yes. Canadian. I'm sorry. Aaron is Canadian. I had to look that up real quick. So. All good. Um, so we're going to get into spoilers and plot points. So skip to the end if you just want to hear our our ratings. Um, but this will be spoilers from now on. Um, we'll try to be brief. I feel like we yeah. said that last week and then we ended up talking for like literally it's hard. an hour. It's hard when the movie's spoilers. interesting. Yeah. It's like. Yeah. I mean. We're... Green Knight had a lot of stuff to talk about though. It did. It did. And I will just say this has a very, very quick synopsis. Not my best. But the movie is when ex-cop James's young neighbor Amanda goes missing, mm -hmm. his search leads him down a rabbit hole of other missing teens and a secret cult that is attempting to connect with a terrifying and otherworldly entity. So, um, that's the movie. That's If you guys that's don't want to know anything about it until you do that, that's the movie. So, but we are getting into spoilers now. So, <laughs> I will say, I had a very low opinion of this movie right after I saw it, and then when I listened to the director talk about what all went through, he went through and, like, how, like, he would have liked to, like, edit it down a lot more, and I went back and watched it a second time, I enjoyed it a lot more. So, I will say, this movie grows on you, because I feel like, yeah, people are either going to see this and be like, oh, so much to think about, so interesting, and all this metaphysical like theoretical stuff cool but then i think some people are just gonna be like that was weird and i do not like it so i feel like people are either gonna love or hate this movie yeah there's a lot about this movie that's just a lot of questioning but at least there's something to talk about it yeah like absolutely i, I had questions um so that's always better than leaving it like <laughs> like watching <laughs> the house of a thousand corpses and being like well that was dumb uh and i have no questions it was just silly. Okay. And gross. Probably my favorite part of the movie is the opening sequence. Um, it's the best part. I think it's... I mean, there's a lot of... There's, uh, there's... I have two favorite parts. It's this part and then there's a sequence in the campground. Those are my two favorite parts. Um, but it's interesting because we start out with these, like... 
like typical like American teens in a foreign country. They're hiking. Like they seem like hipsters. Like very rich hipsters. But we should say it's 1995. So it is 1995. Yeah. But you go on. I'm sorry. In 1995. No, no, you're good. And they're they're hiking, and um, they they pass these like uh, boot. Excuse me. They pass some Bhutanese monks. And, um, there's really good camera work. Like, one of them, they pass, like, um, these, like, uh, spinning, I don't know what they are, but they're, like, these wooden blocks. Kind of like those tic-tac-toe things at playgrounds that kids have. But, um, this is, like, obviously, like, religious symbols. And, like, they all touch them on their way there, and they do this really cool, like, like, close-up shot. It reminded me of a lot of, like, the whaling Mm-hmm, like yeah. the beginning of the whaling, I was getting like vibes from that, which is a compliment because that movie's gorgeous, even though it's like this movie very long, but it's gorgeous. Um, so uh, they go up to the top of this big mountain. Finally, they cross this bridge, get to the top, and they kind of like realize there's a storm coming, and three of them, I think it's Greg, right? Uh, yeah, Greg, it's Greg, Greg, Ruthie, yeah. Greg, Ruthie, and I can't remember the other girl's name, and, um, Paul. And Greg and Ruthie and the other female, um, person, because it's, like, two men and their girlfriends, um, are all like, oh, we should head back, but Paul's like, I hear something, and nobody else hears it, and he starts walking away from them towards whatever sound he's hearing, and he just falls in a crevice, and, um, they... It takes them a while to, like, get to them, but obviously they're pretty good at mountaineering and mountain climbing because, like, they rappel down, and Greg's like, why didn't you answer? I've been calling your name. And, like, then Greg's like, oh, holy shit. And I really like the visuals. It was very much, like, Prometheus or Alien. It was very, like, it was very creepy crawly because he's sitting, you know, cross-legged, like, almost in a, um... Meditation. meditation yeah stance um and he is in front of this uh statue skeleton we're not really sure because it like it's like a human it looks human but it has too many fingers in its hands so i'm like okay did is did this person grow that many fingers it has like four hands like four the amount of fingers that four hands would have um but and it's a little bigger than a regular human and then there's, like, other bones coming out of its side, but it, well, it didn't quite look like wings either. And you don't see all of it, but you see enough of it to get creeped out. It's the whole less is more thing. You see enough to be like, what the fuck is that? That's really weird. It's like, it kind of looks human, but it's not quite right. What the hell? Um, and Greg's like, oh my god, what the fuck is that? And he's like, oh. But then he kind of snaps up and snaps to attention and goes to Paul. And he's like, hey, Paul, like, okay, let's get you out of here. And before he touches him, Paul's like... If you touch me, you'll die. But, like, under his breath. And he's like, okay. And he hesitates, but he still touches him. So he he repels him out. And now they're, like, they're they're so slow. Now that he's trying to carry Paul. And he Paul's basically like catatonic that they end up getting stuck at this abandoned cabin. And um, there's, like, a bottle with some, like, like almost wrapped like a prayer yeah, Rap, like a small um, flute. Like, yeah, a flute or like a bottle kind of thing. And um, that 
Paul's girlfriend. I can't. I guess it's Ruthie. Oh, is Ruthie Ru- Paul's Ruthie. girlfriend? Yeah. So Ruthie's yeah. Paul's girlfriend. Fiona is Greg's girlfriend. Yeah. Ah, thank you. You're so welcome. Ruthie is like blowing into this bottle, and like all the noise stops, and she gets really freaked out, and then like nothing really happens. And on the second day, she sees this person out in the wilderness, like out in the snowstorm, and she asks them for help. And they do this it's really creepy sequence where she takes a step back and it takes a step forward. And it's, like, following her and she runs, like, in the house. And then the people knocking on the door are her friends. And so she's like, what the fuck just happened? Um, and then finally, they, they realize that Paul is missing. Well, they, I will say this real quick. So Paul appears catatonic, like Katie said. And they're, like, yes. putting a light in his eyes. His pupils aren't dilating. He's not responding to reflexes. This whole time, so over the course of two days, he's just laying there. Yeah. But on the second night, as Rufy sleeps, he starts whispering something in her ear, which is like the yes. first oh. time we see. Yeah. I'm glad you said this because, so he whispers, and I didn't get it until I was, I was watching it the second time with headphones in, and I don't know if anyone else listening likes ASMR. I find it helps relax me and go to sleep. Um, and there's something, I don't really like this as ASMR because I can't, it, the whole point of it is called unintelligible whispering, where basically someone, like, where, like, they whisper, but you can't understand what they're saying. And I think it's yeah. supposed to, like, help you chill out because you're not concentrating. But all I can think about is what the fuck are you saying? Yeah. Um, so, like, it doesn't relax me. But in this movie, he and several people who are under the influence of the empty man, like, whisper, like, the empty man, the empty man, the empty man. And it's it, it gives you ASMR if you're listening to this with headphones, which is, like, that tingly... Like, it's almost like your brain itching. It's ASMR. Yeah. Um, which I was like, oh, that is so smart. Because, like, it's just such an extra level to the production to just, like, take something that's in the lexicon of the world. Like, ASMR is pretty well known by now. And, like, to just use that to give you this creepy, crawly feeling. Because, like, if you're, like, relaxed and it's ASMR, you're like, oh, I'm relaxed, my brain is tingling or whatever. Go look it up. It, that's not the, the technical term, but everyone calls it the tingles for a reason. Um, but if you don't know what to expect and that happens to you during a scary sequence, it's like, oh, God, now I feel creeped out. Like, I physically yeah. feel it. So I thought that was a nice touch. But, yeah, so he's, like, whispering the empty man, the empty man, but he's, like, whispering, like, the empty man, the empty man, the empty man. And it's really creepy. Um, but anyways, so, um, they find Paul sitting in front of the bridge that they had crossed before, blowing in his little bottle flute, and they're like, man, I'm so sick of your shit, we have to go in, because apparently Paul's had, like, uh, a history of, it seems like self-harm and depression, so I guess they think maybe he's just going through an episode, and so they're not really taking it very seriously, and so they're like, snap out of it, bro. And as uh, Greg and Fiona are trying to get him to snap out of it, Ruthie just randomly has a butcher knife. And um, she just stabs the shit out of Greg, throws him off the cliff. And then she slices Fiona's throat open, throws her off the cliff. And then she and Paul lock eyes and she throws herself off the cliff. Yeah, and it it's absolutely fucking terrifying the way it films because it looks yeah. so realistic the way that they fall Mm -hmm. off this cliff and it's the violence is so sudden like you don't really have time to think 
during this. Yeah. So you feel like the characters, because it's one minute, Ruffy's standing there, and the next minute, she's just stabbing Greg in the back. And it's yeah. like, what the fuck? And this whole scene happens over 20 minutes, but it's a slow build of tension. The pacing mm-hmm. is so good that it racks up yeah. your anxiety watching it. I loved it. Mm-hmm. It could have They could have made that a short film, and it would have been a yeah. completely solid short film. Yes. And he did want to cut it more, but the original producer that supported this movie was like, nah, keep it. Make it longer. So, I will say, like, if you think the sequence is long, it's not really the director's fault. I like but it. I don't think it's too long. I liked it. I do think maybe... I don't know. The first time I watched it, I was like, maybe it was too long. The second time, I was like, nah, it moved fast enough. I didn't... I didn't fast forward through any part of the beginning when I scrubbed through it the second time, so... Um, but do you want to go to where we are back in, I think it's 2018? Yeah, so we're in Webster's Hill, Missouri, and we see James, and um, he, we actually see him running. And I didn't realize there was parallels, so I actually read an interview with David Pryor that there's actually parallels for The Exorcist. The Exorcist inspired him a lot, and um, yeah. so the idea of I like... we read t- the same article, because I read that yeah. too. Like the idea yeah. of a totem, like kind of bringing this like spiritual deity into the into the world and the other thing is that james is like grappling with things on the inside and he's taking out his frustrations physically so we see him running and taylor was laughing because he runs and then he stops and has a smoke break and so automatically it was kind of like something humorous so he's kind of leading a seamlessly unfulfilling life he uh he works and owns a security company um, and he celebrates his birthday at a little uh, Mexican restaurant. It's really sweet because the waitress comes out with like a little birthday like cake for him. And we're like, that's cute. Um, but he has an uneventful day. And then he sees his young neighbor Amanda is in the backyard. And she tells him basically, she kind of spouts off this thing that he kind of like, I feel like James is the audience. Like he's kind of like the catalyst for the audience because you're kind of like, I don't know mm-hmm. what the fuck you're talking about. Um, but she's mm-hmm. like, nothing's real anymore, and I'm no longer scared. And so we know that James's wife and child has obviously passed away in an accident about a year as ago. As is her father. Yeah, as is her father. Her father's died of a heart attack, and his wife and child have passed away in an accident. Um, so we know he's depressed, he's on medication, and we don't know why, but he also feels major guilt evolving around the incident, and we know that because he dreams about his wife saying, where were you? Um... Mm-hmm. So the next morning, Amanda's mother, Nora, she notices that Amanda is missing and she immediately calls James because he's an ex-cop. And on the mirror written in blood mm-hmm. is the empty man made me do it. Um, so the police mm-hmm. just suspect that Amanda is a runaway and they also suspect that the blood is animal blood. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if I, you want to take over from here if you want me to keep going. So um, so basically he, he does meet like the police chief. Who has a minor role. These are things that I feel like they could cut. Like, I don't think we really needed, like, the police chief. Like, I don't think the actor did a bad job, but I feel like it was a lot of fat that could have been trimmed. Like, we could have just been like, yeah, we can just stay with him and just have, like, a, oh, hi, police chief. But, you know, the police chief is like, yeah, we'll get on to it, but she's 18 or whatever. Um, And he starts kind of on his own investigating what's happening. So he goes to the high school... And he is asking around, and there's this one friend of Amanda's called Devara, and she divulges details about the Empty Man. It's like a bridge game where kids, it's like Bloody Mary or the Candyman kind of thing where you go to a bridge, you blow in a bottle, and like the first day you think about the Empty Man, then 
you hear the empty man and then you see him on the third day and you know three is very biblical very symbolic all that stuff um but like so basically she amanda took her and all of their friends to the bridge and Devaro was like the least enthusiastic about it and she just was weirded out and now none of their friends are anywhere they're all missing yeah, and I do out. I do want to say I love this scene too because the really great thing about this movie and um Katie you probably feel the same way there's not really there may be one or two kind of jump scares but it's not a movie clock full of jump scares like the tension is no. is built like the tension the dread is built so well so when they mm-hmm. the teenagers all blow into the bottle on the bridge they hear first something rattling in the distance and like the sound is so good it just amps up the tension yeah. i was scared I like, like during the scene there's a there's a specific marker for like whenever someone blows in a bottle before the empty man comes or whatever like everything goes silent all the crickets stop everything goes silent and the first time it happened i thought something was wrong with my tv i thought like it was about to like start loading and say like buffering and i was like oh no it's just part of the movie which i thought was interesting yeah um but they did a good job with the sound because they still i mean Obviously, they're sound engineers and they're making actual movies, but I like the sound engineering because they take out, like, all the background noise, but, like, you like they still have, like, footsteps and things like that, so I thought it was interesting. Um, but, yeah, so basically, uh, James goes to the bridge, La Sombra, his last name's really cool to say, um, and he blows on a bottle like an oh, idiot. I will say real quick, so he... I will say just because this 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 leads to where Katie's talking. He does go to all the friends' houses that were with uh-huh. um, Amanda last, and none of their parents are home. Uh, and the ones that are are really despondent. And he does find because um, I want to warn people of this. He does find a dead dog in one of the backyards, and that's yes. where they were getting the blood from. So there is a dead yeah, dog. It does like, not holes next to the dead dog full of blood. It's very sad. It is um, very. And he does sad. find like a a pamphlet for this Pontifex society. And, um, so he goes to the bridge, he blows on a bottle, all the noise stops, and then he goes under the bridge and finds that all the teenagers except for Devara and Amanda have hung themselves and written The Empty Man Made Me Do It in blood. And then, um, Devara gets killed in, in, like, the steam room. Which I felt, like, I was like, do we need to have this actress be totally naked it felt kind of a little gross i don't know I felt how like do you this, feel about that yeah um i don't to me i guess it makes sense to me that she was naked if they were going to do in the shower but i i also thought it was interesting how all like the places all, all the places for her to be well yeah it's steam room but like a shower setting like a bath yeah. setting um but of all the places for her to be vulnerable i guess it was kind of interesting they picked that place and i don't know if it yeah. was specifically to have her naked it was but, yeah. I do feel it was. I do feel it, it was, was out of place. Choice. It was out of place just because yeah. the violence is a lot. The violence is a lot worse in that scene than any other scene in the movie, too. Yeah, it seemed really jarring. But like, she does get she gets stabbed in the face by the same looking entity that was haunting the hikers in the beginning, and it just like stabs her several times in the face, and it and sets it up like, like it looks like she's doing it. So it, like it takes over yeah. her mind. So, yeah, because you see it then, doing it, but then she's doing it. Yeah, and then like it writes the empty man in in her blood next to her body, um. 
And um, James eventually follows the lead to the Pontifex Society. Their their motto is, we transmit, you receive. Um, and he, this is the scene where he goes in and this, like, little girl is, like, she's a woman, but, like, this, like, little lady's, like, um, at this, uh, f- like, front desk with this table. And she's, like, hi. And she just keeps saying all this new-agey bullshit. And this is where, like, I really liked his character because he was just, like, yeah, I grew up in San Francisco. I get it. But what is, what is this place? Like, what does it mean? She's, like... The answers you're looking for are within the answers you're looking for. And just, like, circle answers. She just keeps going in circles. And he's just like, uh, okay. Um, which I thought was funny. Yeah. I did. Um, there was two scenes, um, just very minor, that did happen. That I think sets off him going to the Pondaflex Society. Um, which is... The first is Nora brings him some food. And they almost, like, get intimate in the kitchen. And so when we saw the scene, we're like, oh, they're both grieving in different ways. And she's reaching out to him for comfort. And he kind of pushes her away. Um, she holds his hand and then she leaves. Well, that night around 3 o'clock, uh, James, another really great scene of, like, tension. He believes something's in his house. He hears footsteps. And he takes the baseball bat. And he even sees something under the door. But when he opens up the door, nothing there, but the door to his house is wide open. And that scene was also mm-hmm. a very terrifying scene. It was creepy. Yeah. yeah. It was really creepy. Which um, leads to that Pondiflex society, I think. That's where he's like, oh, fuck, yeah. I need to check this out. Like, <laughs> So he goes to Pondiflex, mm-hmm. and uh, Stephen Root is, like, their self-help leader, and he gives this really, like, charismatic speech about, like, nothing is real, and thought form, and tulpas, and blah, blah, blah. And, um, afterwards, he's, like, signing autographs, and James goes to ask him questions. He's like, oh, welcome back! And he's like, I've never been here before. And he's like, of course not! Anyways, and, um, he kind of, like, goes back to, like, the members-only section, and he sees this, like, group of people sitting in front of a chalkboard in this, like, basement-dwelling warehouse area. And they're just, like, chanting this these phrases, like, the empty man brings... The bridge brings the empty man. The empty man brings the something and the something... I can't remember exactly what they said. But basically, they're all chanting the same thing over and over again. And then they hear him, and he gets kind of kicked out... But he sees uh, little Ned Stark, Garrett is the character's name. Uh, I said an angsty team named Garrett tells him he'll find Amanda at this old camp. Um, and he goes to the camp. And this is my, this is my second favorite yes. sequence because it genuinely was creepy and I really like the visuals. Um, so he goes to the camp. He finds the, this office with the files of basically every known victim to him. And then he finds a file of himself, and it's completely empty. It's also red, and he's just like, huh, y'all are funny. Hilarious. And But he takes all the files with him, and he goes to um, the cabin at the camp. And the cabin had been in a newspaper article about Pontifex before where, like, some tragic accident had happened there um, and a scandal with the Institute or society, or whatever you want to call it. I will keep calling it the Institute, because I think that was the creepy, culty group in Lost, I want to say. Wasn't it, like, the Institute? Um, but it kind of reminds me of the Institute of Lost. It's very mysterious and not completely explained. 
Um, so he, he goes to the cabin and he finds these VHS tapes and he picks up one. It's called Manifestation 13. And this, if you've played the video game Outlast, I was getting Outlast vibe. A lot of the visuals in this movie for this part were very similar to the visuals in Outlast, both of them, because they both deal with like experimentation on individuals. And what's happening is there's this group of people and they're chanting the same thing the group of people, the society were chanting. And there's a man in the corner. And the man in the corner is like catatonic like Paul was, but then, and it's hard to make out because it's night vision, but it looks like he's cut himself on his side and he's taking his own intestines and blood and he paints this uh, image of the empty man on the wall and James like, like puts his flashlight over and he's like, oh, I'm in the same room this happened in. Interesting. And, um, yeah. And then, like, he just kind of, like, it ends, like, with him just, like, staring into the camera and the camera going blank. So you're like, okay, that's weird. There is one creepy thing because you see a giant stuffed bear and you see yes. the bear move and it's out of the frame. And I was like, fuck, what happened to yes. the bear? Like, <laughs> I was like, where did the bear go? Um, and then... This is my, this is really the best. That part was creepy, but, and I really was just like, this seems like Outlast, only like in a movie. Um, but, uh, while he's trying to exit the camp, he's like across a waterway from, um, these people, and they are like dance, like it was inspired by the Sufi, um, it's like an Islamic sect, the Sufis, where they do whirling dervishes, where they all dance in concentric circles. So basically they're all running in circles around this fire and like he sees the fire go up and into the sky he's like oh my god and then like he looks back at them and it looks pretty normal and as he starts to leave he notices they've all stopped dancing and everything gets quiet he's like oh no and he takes a step back and they take a step forward and he takes another step back and they take a step forward and then he just goes uh-uh, no, yeah. and just runs, and they all chase after him, and they all start going across the waterway and through the water. It's very scary. And yeah. everyone is, like, covered in shadows, so you don't really see a person. You just see this this shadow of a, of a figure. And they, like, you know, so he has to escape, and it was just really well done. I thought the tension was really good. I think the visuals yeah. were really cool in that scene. I really liked it. Um, and he's, like, basically, like, the teddy bear follows him home. At some point, and he tells Nora that she needs to go stay at a hotel. And they they keep, like, you know, insinuating that, like, she's like, why am I not allowed to, like, touch you kind of thing? And you're like, oh, what happened here? This is, something different is going on. And she's like, I'm sorry it's been so long we've talked, and why? And you're just like, oh, okay. Um, and eventually he decides to follow the cultists, and he's, like, drinking his car at this point. Um, and he, he ends up following the cultists to a hospital. And we see Paul from the beginning. He's now in a catatonic state Poor in a Paul. coma. Yeah. Poor Paul in the hospital. And basically they're all like worshiping him and it's really creepy. And um, he gets Garrett. He pepper sprays him and gets him in his car and is like beating him up and being like, what the fuck is going on here? And Garrett's like, well, they told me to tell you what I told you. So I'm sorry. Um, but he basically is, like, talking about, I'm trying to explain it the best way possible. Like, um, they believe in, like, almost like an intergalactic consciousness where, like, everything is, is just consciousness and bodies are not completely made up, but, like, 
we go on through our consciousness and we're linked through the past and the future through consciousness and that's the true power and he says like the only reality is there is no reality it's like the matrix um and he him and he says like and every in every few years there's an empty man who comes to he needs a vessel and he comes to erase the boundaries and then he punches him a few more times and he just laughs like a crazy person and it's like okay and then he goes he goes to the Pontifex place again and he finds a file with his name and they have all these like they have like articles about him and stuff about his life it's all stuff that he's mentioned before like cop lives in San Francisco uh hero cop's wife and son die in terrible accident all stuff that like he specifically talked about like super specific like the phrases are all the same and then they have like family pictures that he's like how the hell did you get this and there was this random picture of him just like sitting naked in a chair in a hallway and he's like i don't remember that happening what the fuck's going on um and it's really starting to fuck with his head and he finds a way to the hospital and he starts talking to the nurse and the nurse starts out really normal she's like i can't divulge patient information he's like well, I'm looking for a guy who's supposed to, can you just, like, tell me enough so I can knock him off my list of suspects? And so she tells him, like, well, I know that he was in Bellevue, and he's been here a very long time, and he has a lot of visitors, and he's, like, a three to six on the Glasgow coma scale, which a 15 is normal, by the way. A 15 is you're not in a coma. If you're eight or below, you're in a coma. But, like, you know, probably not much going on there. Um, and, like, towards the end of her little monologue, she gets creepier and creepier, and she's like, he has a lot of visitors. In fact, there's one in there right now. Go ahead. And you're just like, okay, that took a turn. Do you want to tell them what happens next? So he goes in the room and to see Paul's Mm -hmm. visitor, and it's actually Amanda. And so Amanda Mm -hmm. starts to explain that Paul's body can no longer carry the strain of being the vessel for the empty man. And because of that, the cult needed a new vessel for the being. So they actually used James as a tupla. So, uh, which Topla. Me- Topla. 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 T-U-L-P-A. Topla. Topla. I got it spelled Topla. right, just not pronounced right. I know. It's kind Topla. of a weird word. Yeah. I had to look it up several times. And I'm just like... It I- is a thing. Yeah. I never heard it about it thing. before this movie. So... The, um... Tibetan Book of the Dead mentions tulpas and thought form, which is a lot of this movie. Which yeah. That was published in 1927. Which is crazy. Um, but what mm-hmm. that essentially means, and this is where the mindfuck comes in. So he's a blank slate. <laughs> he's a blank slate. And all his memories and relationships were created by the Cole and Amanda herself, um, which ensures... And his flesh. Yeah. Well, is and that's what I couldn't like figure out. Golem? Yeah. He's like a golem without a physical manifestation. Like, like without... Because, like, when you make a golem, which a golem is in uh, Hebrew fables. I'm sure it's in other fables, but it's specifically Hebrew is what I've heard. Where it's like a, it's like a creature you make out of whatever. And you write a little note and tell them to do your bidding. Okay. And you put it in there and they do your bidding. And this may be... Kind of a golem? Yeah, and this could be where... a whole person. Yeah, and I don't know. Okay, so I don't think you're necessarily wrong, but the only thing I would argue about is that because the cult leader is like, it's nice to see you again, I also wonder if he was a... if he volunteered his body to be the vessel and his memories. So that's what I 
thought. Okay. But then she says, and we manifested your flesh. And grabs okay. his hand and says, your flesh, we manifested that. So I wonder oh. if maybe, maybe they used a template of a person. Okay, yeah. Um, so they, um, like, tell you to imagine a very specific cup that you actually have in your home that you've drank coffee out of and how you drink your coffee, and that's how you imagine it. But you have to have a template to treat it as a real thing. So, I, maybe it's that. Maybe they, they yeah. were like, that guy looks good. Let's all envision him, you know. Or maybe, I don't know. But then also, like, obviously the exercise before, the Manifestation 13 and all the ones before that were failed attempts because they say that they failed several times. So I wonder if, like, it could be that he was a body, but then she says, we manifested your flesh. So I was like, I think she she basically was trying to explain that when we tried it with an actual person, it didn't work for some reason. Like, maybe because their bodies eventually give up, just like Paul's is about to give up. But if we manifest you, there's no physical limitations because you're not an actual person. You're just a vessel. Yeah. So if we do that, then you know, then you're going to last a very long time, if not forever, which is almost like saying that, like, creation and the Big Bang Theory, or however you want to put it, like, creating something out of nothing is doable. Yeah. So, I don't know. So, maybe it's pro-Christianity. I don't really know. That's interesting. This is, like, like very Matrix shit. I like that argument for sure. Like, I don't think that's necessarily wrong either. It's, there's a there's a text to definitely um, back that up. So yeah. But what we do find out is so he has only assisted as James Lasombra um, for three days, which is why he celebrates his birthday in the beginning of the movie. Because this is yeah, birthday. and that actually was planted. Everything was planted, which is why like when Amanda's like nothing is real it's like oh no she's being for serious you're not real none of this is real which he tries to call nora and that's when he starts freaking out because she's like who the hell is this and i'm like so was nora real like or is he not real like that's all i was like i don't understand because he was interacting with her before well nora was real because she literally created the fair she's like i created the i you didn't you didn't know if i knew about the fair i was the one who created the fair between you and my mother so nora's real yeah she basically wrote a script and she wrote in his family dying and yeah. all that terrible stuff, the worst night of his life, because they realized that the only way to create a vessel was through grief and fear and sorrow. And then, okay, this is where the movie loses me a bit, because he starts fighting the empty man, like, like metaphorically. He's fighting, he doesn't want to be overtaken by the empty man. And he's, like, running through the rain... And then he's driving through the rain, and then he's remembering the night, like, the circumstances of how his family died. And basically, like, he went to Nora's husband's funeral with his family. They all went back to Nora and Amanda's house, and then his family went on without him, and he stayed behind to, quote-unquote, comfort Nora, but then they started having sex. And I started laughing, because the combination of the editing and the music choice, which is, like, classical music that's, like, crescendoing and getting louder and louder. All of a sudden, like, at first, like, they're kissing. It's very passionate. I'm like, cool, that's fine. Like, I get it. They're having an affair. And then all of a sudden, he's bending her her over doggy style, and they're thrusting to the beat of the music. And I lost it. I was like, no, no, no. That was too far. That's just silly now. 
And then, like, and then they just keep going with the affair stuff. And I was just kind of like, I get it, but I feel like maybe they should have done just, like, like up closes of, like, arms, like, grasping and touching and less, like, full body shots of them just grinding on each other. Um, it just was, like, the timing was off. I was just like, it's too, it was too stupid. I was like, no, nah, okay. So this is when I kind of just was like, uh, everything's a mind fuck. And to me, too. it was also like, it. this was, to me, the ending was problematic too because it was revelation after revelation after revelation after revelation. Yeah. And that was a too lot. Much. It was like assault to the senses. I was just like, I really yeah. liked this movie. I thought it was gearing up to, to this really like great ending. And then I felt like the ending, it was just ending. too convoluted. Like, I yes. was like, what the fuck is happening? Then- because then, like, the empty man empties his soul through his mouth, and it's very silly looking, and you're like, okay. And then he just, like, he runs into the hospital, shoots pa- poor Paul. Yeah, Paul just, just got fell through over. a crevice. Yeah. Poor guy. And shoots him in the head, and there's blood everywhere, and then he just leaves the hospital room, and there's all these, like, everyone just starts worshipping him, and you're like... Okay, so all right, and then I was like, cool. "Please don't let that be the ending. Please don't let that be the ending." And then it flashes <laughs> the credits. So I'm like, "Damn it!" Like, yeah, I was so mad at the Ugh. ending. I Which like- I will say, all the interviews I've heard with him, no one's really brought the ending. They've brought up like everything up until that point, and they kind of talk about like the the thought process and the theoretical stuff of like oh tulpas and stuff like that but like no one really talks to him about it and I feel like everyone probably feels like the ending's problematic because like they kind of avoid it which like I'm listen I don't again I feel bad because once I found out about the editing issues and all that stuff I was like okay it makes more sense why it's so long because I do think the movie's too long um, it's so long and it's also just a lot of, like, convoluted stuff, like Britt said. Like, I feel like if he had had a second editor to kind of go behind him and be like, I don't really think we need this, can we trim it? I feel like that would have helped, and I also feel like if the studio had let him trim it down more, I think the movie would be a little more palatable. I don't think it's, it's not like, it's just, it is very long. It's not so long that it's unwatchable, but... It is very long. I did have yeah. to scrub through it the second time I watched it. I had to kind of fast forward through the stuff I already got the first time because I was like, eh, I don't have time for this. Yeah, and that so. Was, so those are my my two main cons to, uh, too. So I wrote this down. So the third act of the film, um, it does a lot to derail the earlier tone of the film. Um, so we, once again, it's the third act of the movie. We're just overloaded. I feel like it's an assault to the senses. There's too much going on. Mm-hmm. I actually put yeah. in my note, and I don't know if you're going to laugh. This was one of the possible Grindhouse Girls titles I was thinking of. It actually, the note I made was, um, from Candyman to Cthulhu Mythos. Because we started <laughs> out with, like, a very Candyman-type urban legend-type story. Yes. And then it went from fucking Candyman and this, like, little local urban legend to, okay, we got this, like, mythos that's, like, Cthulhu, like, something older than time. And right. it's grand, and it's overtaking people's minds, and there's all this shit. And that's fine, but it totally, it kind of felt like... My husband loves the horror movie Sinister. And my problem with the movie Sinister, I like it. But it's like there's a mm-hmm. very different tonal shift. Where the first movie we got like true crime and like um, 
Right. Yeah, what the fuck is the, um, the movies are filmed, oh. like, people's deaths, um, What's the actual term oh, for Oh, uh, snuff films. Yeah. Snuff films. So it's very snuff film, and then we get Bagul, and we get that deity pagan, and I just, I felt there was, like, that tonal shift in the movie. Like, yeah. it was a, two very different ideas. Um, yeah, and then, I think everyone has yeah. said that about Sinister. A lot of people say that. I still haven't watched it, because I'm like, the Bagul thing just is really funny. Like, I've just seen the this, this scene of... Um, Shit. Oh, he's such a good actor. I can't Ethan remember Hawk. his name. Ethan Hawke. No, the guy who's uh, talking to him over Skype. Tall man. He was the roach monster in Men in Black. Oh. Uh, Vincent D'Onofrio. Okay. okay. Vincent D'Onofrio. He's like, what you have here is a bagul. And it was just like, what? Bagul. No, no, yes. No, that's not really a line in the movie. Is, is like, oh, Bagul is a it, it is an entity that blah, blah 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 blah, and I was like, oh no, it's one of those movies. Yeah, but I, I mean, you know, I don't know. But mm. the other thing, and this is, I hate, I feel really bad because um, uh, I almost called him David Pryor. Is that the right director? Yeah, David Pryor. It is I was David like, Pryor. It is yeah. David Pryor. There's just <laughs> another David A. Pryor. Who's- yeah. Also, a director of very different uh, movies. I've read this because, and I feel bad for David Pryor because this is probably he probably reads the own reviews for his movies and something he talks about. He's like, yeah, critics really like to complain about the runtime, and so I am one of those people. I do feel like it's a little bloated, um, and I feel like mm-hmm. this is another movie. Um, this I've been seeing this a lot with modern films. I wonder if this could have been a really effective miniseries. Or a limited series. Yeah. I didn't give it a super high rating because, like, when I watched it the first time, I gave it, like, a 5 out of 10. Okay. But then I was like, I was like, you know what? The production's more like a 7 out of 10, maybe an 8. And the idea is, like, a good 7 out of 10. But, like, the execution is, like, a 5 out of 10. Like, the ending kind of brings the whole thing down. Yeah, I would agree um, with that. I did want to so say... So I gave real- it, like, a 6 out of 10. You you did? So... Yeah. Yeah, it's a six, maybe 6.5. Okay, I think that's it's okay. good. I don't think it lives up to the hype of everyone's like, it's a cult classic. I'm like, it's good. I, I don't think it's a cult classic. You know what's funny is I actually went with a 7, and I went with a 7 because of the production value, um, which was my yeah. pros. It has, great. Yeah, it has beautiful cinematography and lighting. Um, the cold open was absolutely great. Um, oh, I love the, the cold open. I love it. The sh- shots of the kids the on the part. bridge were great. Um, and then I like it's just it's a it's a personal thing that I love in movies rather than jump scares. The scene of horror and tension are genuinely scary. So I was there was a, I did feel scared. Yeah, I was scared during a lot of this movie. I guess that's why I'm like I'm like I feel like if they had just cut it down, it would be a more it would be a more efficient popcorn movie. Yeah, like almost like the first ring, where yeah. it is scary, but it's 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 popcorn movie ish too. Like yeah. it's enjoyable, scary. I don't know. I don't hate it though, and I do think I do think I like this director. I think he has a lot of talent, and I feel like if he either had his own editor who would edit his film down or was given more time with a film, I feel like I want to see more stuff with him because I do think he's really talented and I do think this movie's interesting and at least it's different. Yeah. Um, But with that, I think we need to talk about next week. Yes. Next week. So we have our, our lovely friend and listener our friend of the podcast stephanie coming on the podcast um 
and Stephanie and I. Uh, so, again, I famously, like, am not a fan of Rob Zombie. Stephanie and her husband are huge Rob Zombie fans. And um, she really wants to do a Rob Zombie movie. And it's the only Rob Zombie movie I have on our list of movies to review. And it's The Lords of Salem. And I don't know a ton about it because I have tried to keep myself in the dark about it because I did hear positive things. Um, It's basically like a woman who I think is recovering from addiction of some sort um, or trying to recover from addiction um, stumbles upon basically a coven of witches trying to bring about some terribleness. And it's very female-heavy... Which is a positive. A negative is Sherry Moon Zombie is the lead. And she's a white person in dreadlocks in the movie. So, I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> I Giving me cringe vibes. But Sherry Moon Zombie isn't the worst actress. I just, I think she's good in very specific things. Like, I think she actually was okay in House of a Thousand Corpses. Because her character didn't have a lot of depth. And didn't really do much other than be, like, stupid. And, like, talking a little girl voice the whole time. But I've seen her try to act more in, like, the Halloween one. And it's just, I don't know. I, I don't love her. Yeah. But I've heard positive things about it. So this might be the role for her. So I'm I'm actually, this has been on our list. I think I actually put this on our list. So... I'm actually excited that Stephanie went to do this one because if she had said like let's do the Devil's Rejects, I would have been like, oh god, this one's I'm I'm actually like interested in. I've heard it has cool visuals and stuff. Yeah, I just have a feeling like, and I don't know if this will be an accurate prediction, but I feel like Katie's gonna lean towards one way, Steph's gonna lean towards the other way, and I'm gonna be like smack dab <laughs> in the middle. Like, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I can see that. Like, <laughs> like just going back and forth. Which is, like, it's so... Which is fine. It's like the belt, the the jizz belt discussion yet last week. Like, yes. it was kind of heated, but, like, we didn't really fight. Like, I don't... I have no problem with people oh. disagreeing with me on art. It because be, art is subjective. It would be stupid to, like, legitimately fight about things like that when yes. art can be interpreted in different ways. Um, like I said, um, we may go, I know we are wrapping up on this episode, but literally now, now we have four people who have interpreted the Green Knight scene in different ways. So that's four. What did our friend Jonathan say? Because I was like, maybe we should say this, save (laughs) this for the end. So our guest that we, our other guest, um, after Lydia, but before Stephanie, Jonathan, who are the one time... Our um, equipment failed, and Skype deleted our entire conversation with him, um, Jonathan, who will come on the podcast again, hopefully. Yeah. He had a different interpretation after he saw The Green Knight. He did. He he said, oh, he goes, I thought, like, she was trying, this is paraphrasing it, but he's like, I thought she was trying to seduce him, and he got so excited he blew his load too early. Yeah. 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 And I was, and I told him my interpretation. He's like, "Well, I like yours better because that has more meaning behind it." I was like, "But you know, we don't know." That's what I like. Yeah, we don't. Yeah, know. that's why I like that we don't know because each one has a different interpretation, which is why I'm like, I thought it was this because I thought kind of it was in between a hand job and him premature ejaculating. Um, that's what I like. 
but like I was unsure, and then you were like, "No, they were having sex," and then Taylor was like, "No, they were humping." Yeah. And now Jonathan has a whole different thing. Isn't it funny? It is Isn't funny. It funny. It four is funny. People, two and different really, genders, and I really, and really like, we yeah, don't even know. four people, two different genders, all have different interpretations. And once again, I just think the whole "you're not a real knight" was like she seduced him, and so she won this little mind game of proving that he wasn't a real knight. Um, and that's the only reason I keep going back to. I think it happens. But the way it's filmed is very suggestive. You don't really see for sure what's going on because of the way that scene is filmed. Um, so, yeah. Yes. I mean, I think that's purposeful. And again, this movie, uh, The Green Knight, kind of like this movie, at least gets you to talk about it. Yeah. So, I just didn't think we'd be talking about where did the jizz come from. Yeah. Well, we know where the jizz so. comes from. That jizz, The jizz was... <laughs> but- I don't think that should be our t-shirt. Where does the jizz come from? Well, we know where the jizz comes from. I mean, like, we know where it comes from. It's more like how it came How to... How did it get there? <laughs> <laughs> we know how it got That's there. That's a sound bite. That's a sound bite. You don't, you, don't live so to, you don't live to be 32 years old without learning a couple things here and there. So. <laughs> you live and you learn, so. There are exceptions, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sadly. But yes, we all know where the jizz comes from. <laughs> where did it come from? Where did it go? Where did it come from? Just covered belt. Anyway, oh, if only Deb, if only Deb Pictel could hear these things. <laughs> I know Deb Patel, we love you. It's not your. I'm sure it wasn't really his jizz. Deb, Pat- Deb Patel, come come on the podcast and tell us how you interpreted. How how did you interpret jizz? I what did why you why would, why am I not an interview? Her for like calling no one has asked me yeah, questions. I would be like, I have not heard one I'd be like, Deb, there is a scene in the movie, and it's a did they? It's like kind of like a modern day. Don't look now. Like, did you? Did you not? Like, what is going did you, did on you here? Not? Yeah. Did y'all? Did somebody get a handy on set, or did you have a fluffer? What happened? Yeah. Anyways, like where it. did the jizz come from? Where did, where did oh. it come? From? We, we <laughs> know where it, it come from. Like. What did you say? Insane. You said something like, it's, it's, it was very smart for, like, uh, last week. Like, you said something, it sounded very sophisticated and intelligent for talking about jizz. You were like, because he not only, it's not only covered in his. I said, it's. You said, I said something it, in his I said, sin. I said, um, it's literally the, the, the garter is covered with the seed of his, the stain of his sin. The seed it, of his not sin. just his seed, but his sin. Yeah. Yes. Da, da, da. I was like, ah. It sounded very intellectual. Yes. I'm pretty sure I kept that in. I'm pretty sure I kept the whole just discussion. I was, it was I was the Anyways. English kid. I was the English kid in high school, so. It was funny. Me too. I was also the English kid, because that's why we want to do this with movies. Like, you can do, like, especially when it was time to read Shakespeare, I was like, yes. Instead of saying, what's the stitch, can we say, what's the jizz? Or <laughs> what's the jizz? Um... By the way, Lords of Salem, the movie yes. we're doing next week, is on Amazon Prime. Amazon so Prime. It's an easy access. Just playing Amazon Prime, as is House of a Thousand Corpses. So if you want to watch a few, I don't think the Devil's Rejects are on that one though, but I think a couple are on Shudder. 
So, you know, if you want to familiarize yourself with Rob Zombie movies, that's probably the best way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that, we are going to stop recording because we've been going on for like over two hours and we'll have to cut out a lot of this. I'll try to keep the gist stuff, though, because that is very funny. Um, but uh, have a good night or a good day. Um, we hope you're doing well wherever you are. Um, and thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for sharing. Um, thank you for interacting. We've got some cool stuff lined up for Spooptober already that we're very excited about. We can't wait to share it with you guys. Make sure you wash your hands. Get your vaccine. Wear a mask now, again. Um, and uh, take your vitamins. I actually took mine today. I had an emergency packet because I do not want to get sick. I'm trying really hard not to get sick. Yes, please don't get sick. Oh, get your flu shot, too. I'm sure it's coming up. In the fall is usually when they start giving out flu shots. So don't forget, COVID is very important, but also don't forget to get your flu shot because the hospitals, if the Delta variant gets worse... They're going to be overwhelmed with COVID patients, and if you get the flu, if you have the vaccine, at least you won't get so sick you get hospitalized, theoretically. So, which I've gotten the vaccine most years, and even the years I did get the flu, like, it sucked, but, like, I didn't have to go to the hospital. Like, I was okay. Like, it just sucked. I just felt like crap and couldn't get rid of a fever. So, you know, be safe, be well, be kind. Yes. And as always... Rewind, be kind, rewind. I remember that because we lived in the time of video stores. Um, but uh, this is a reminder, as always, guys, if you haven't already, please drink a shot of water. We want you to stay hydrated. Um, thank you again for spending some small part of your day with us. We always appreciate that you listen to us and when you comment and say things. Uh, again, we're so happy to have Steph um, on um, on I'm so with excited. us. Oh, I am too. And Steph listens to it's every episode. Long. So, hey, Steph, this one's for you. Thank you so much for coming on you. with us. We love you very much. Um, so, closing thoughts. Closing thoughts, guys. Uh, take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Um, thank you again for everything. And as always, we just look forward to seeing you um, next time. Same spoopy place. Or same spoopy time. Same spoopy channel. <laughs> uh, yeah. Stay spoopy, y'all. Stay spoopy, y'all. Have a good night. Good night. Love you guys. Bye, Brett. Bye, puppies. Bye, kitties. Good night. Goodbye. Have a great day, y'all. The Grindhouse Girls podcast is a production by Katie Dale and Brittany Ray and edited by Katie Dale. All music used is royalty free and will be in our annotations. If you have any questions, comments, suggestions, please contact us at contact us at grindhousegirlspod.com or visit our website at grindhousegirlspod.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon.